beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in and wanting to listen to another episode that we have here. We have an amazing guest, so we're going to talk about some amazing things again. Um, and so, Sean Ram, uh, if you're waiting for him to speak, um, unfortunately, you're going to be disappointed. But we have a, an amazing guest host, uh, Jade Carling Black. Jade, how are you doing? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Good. <laughs> and so, yeah, just uh, once again, thank you for tuning in. If it's your first time, uh, thank you. And hopefully you go back to some older episodes and, and hear about other people's journeys as they move forward through life and, and through grief. And also m- maybe some dreams they've experienced and how that helped them or um, how that was discomforting along their, their journey. So today we have Natalie Prue. Uh, who is a licensed funeral director who owns and operates Facing the Sun, funeral celebrant, bereavement support, and wedding efficient services. Natalie is on the board of directors for Bereavement Ontario Network. She is a part of the Home Hospice Association team and has completed multiple certifications within traumatic grief, child and infant loss, and disenfranchised grief. Aside from her active career within funeral services, Natalie is often called upon as a public speaker and educator within the death care, mental health, and volunteerism industry. In 2009, she was a proud recipient of a Canadian National Order in the Canadian Honor System in Humanitarianism and continues her passion of community services within Niagara Region, which is in Canada, Ontario. She also offers services at no charge for any bereaved parent going through pregnancy and infant loss. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you very much. It's happy to be here. So you're from uh, Niagara, and that's where I'm from. <laughs> I know. So it's nice that we got to connect. And yeah, because I never really heard about you until you sort of, uh, I think, joined the Bereavement Ontario Network, because I used to be a, a rep for there until I moved for the Niagara region. When did you actually join Bereavement Ontario Network as a director, board of directors? As a director, it was just last year. Oh, okay. That's how I, okay. Yes. Are you the uh, regional rep too? Yes, I am. Wow. Look at you, eh? You are doing a lot I of know. We, we're looking for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad someone took up that spot um, because like I said, there's a lot of people in the region that look for help and don't really know where to go. So I'm, I'm glad that service is available and someone's taking that role. So I'm really curious on the journey of becoming a funeral director because when looking at professions one could have in life, most people don't go to you know, seeing dead bodies all the time and being part of that, the sorrow of people in their grief. So can you take us like on that decision process? And if you knew, like we've had someone on that sort of knew as a kid because their whole family were, were funeral directors, did that happen with you or was it something that you just found a passion for as you move forward? I certainly didn't have the the opportunity to have family be in the industry. And I'm I'm not even sure if that would have kept me in it because I've seen a lot of family funeral homes, their their children have gone elsewhere because they see how the job is 24-7 and they often want something different. My interest in the job came when I was in grade 8, actually, and my cousin, who was about five years older and a close friend, completed suicide. And I went to Timmins, where he lived, went to the funeral home, and the funeral director there was a young woman who basically brought me in and let me be a huge part of the process. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to be just like her. 
And she had the tie and the suit and the, the pretty barrette in her hair and the entire tragedy of losing someone that I really cared for and admired and learning more about suicide at grade eight. She made it easy and, and she made it so, I guess, so natural. It sounds odd to say because it wasn't really a natural happening in, in someone's life, but she made the whole process more than bearable. It was it was actually a, a fond remembrance. It was a true celebration of life. So when I went into high school, I had said to a few people, this is something I might want to do, and I was laughed at, A, because nobody, you're right, wants to choose a career that hangs out with the deceased. But most of all, I was very peppy, and I was student council girl and spirit committee coordinator and all smiles and coffee and definitely not someone you'd see as a standard undertaker. So that's basically what started my my hope to become a director. Well, that's interesting. And I like how you're saying like you met one that helped you through your your own grief and to understand at such a young age, death and what happened and and took you and allowed you to be a part of that process. And that's kind of amazing how, you know, someone like and she, I don't know if she even knows, right? Like she did, she was just doing her job in the sense of being her and how she sort of interacts with people, but that influenced you and where you went in life. And I think that's just amazing how one person can just change the direction of your life. Three years ago, I had the opportunity to stumble across her. We were both speakers at a funeral convention and I went up to her and I knew exactly who she was. Right away, I felt like I was seeing a superstar in a way because it reminded me of the the first interest I had in such a quirky career. And she remembered my cousin as well because in Timmins, you know, everybody seemed to know everybody and his circumstance was pretty, you know, a big community loss when, when anyone, you know, so young completes suicide, the community rallies together. And oddly enough, I learned it was one of her first years being as a licensed director. So I always thought that was pretty awesome that not only did she intrigue me and and put that passion of funeral services within me, she did it at the very beginning of her career. Wow. That's amazing. Was she like shocked to know that like she was the one that helped you choose that career? Incredibly. She said that she was absolutely nervous and terrified through the entire situation because it was so large. And she did things that were very uncommon to traditional funeral homes at the time. She had the chessboard that was made of leather so people could sign that instead of a book because he played chess. She had Coke cans and paraphernalia. She made it a real symbol of the life that he had. And that is taking off a lot right now to personalize. And, you know, as death becomes a trendier topic to discuss, people are celebrating lives more and they're bringing in more personalization. But at the time, it was 1992-ish or whenever that was. I don't recall the exact year, but it wasn't seen as much. So she, she received a bit of kickback, but she went ahead and did it and just created an amazing experience for the family. Wow. Wow, she was ahead of her time. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. And so when when you did decide to to go into the funeral business, what did people say? Like your friends and stuff who were going into other careers? They all thought that there was no possible way I'd be able to keep a straight face and kind of dull my chipper attitude. 
And they all thought that it would be really depressing. Mm. They, they had a vision of funeral homes like many do with somber people and crying. And th they couldn't understand how someone who loved to laugh and loved to talk wanted to go in something that was so quiet and so depressing, as a lot of them said. In school, I'd come back from a co-op, and a lot of people were afraid to go near me. And it really showed the fear people have of death because they knew that I was near it at the time. So did you really feel that, like, in your friendships and stuff, too, or just more with, like, your classmates and your peers and stuff? Like, with your friends and family? No, it didn't feeling? affect my friendships whatsoever. Um, you learned really quickly that the death jokes started and they would never end. Oh, right. People people were uncomfortable with the topic, so it was it was constantly here comes the mortician or she's the last one to let you down. Ha ha. It it started at the age of 15 and I'm 37 and it's still going. So it it was really interesting to see that from the very start people use humor as a coping mechanism for something that they're uncomfortable with. But the truth was the moment they realized that there was someone real and tangible to them that knew something about this secret world of death and dying, the questions came out. They they right. had so much to ask about their own funerals, about their own mortality, about what people actually do. So it really it really gave me the insight that it didn't matter what age, people were interested in death and dying. Well, that's so... It, I, I think that's fascinating because it it's a catalyst for a, a conversation that needs to be had. And on top of that, you know, you see the humor. So there's that kind of discomfort and, you know, people feeling a certain type of way. So it's like intrigue and curiosity and at the same time discomfort. It's kind of like a mix of of everything. But I guess through that, it opens up, you know, the dialogue about things that people, in my opinion, should be talking about more freely. And, and discussing and, and not feeling so um, such a taboo, you know, topic. So that's interesting, very interesting. So what are, like, some of your most memorable moments being a funeral director? Like, if you could just share with us and highlight some moments that were super memorable t to you, what would, they, what would they be? I think it's more of less a moment but the the relationships that i've been able to create it's it's an amazing feeling to be able to meet someone at their darkest time and most often they come in lost and and scared of the the process and and fearful of what they have to do so if you can connect with a family and I believe in a, a very conversational approach. So I want to hear their life story. I want to hear the funny, the sad. People talk and connect, and I feel that I become friends with the family. And I think that if a funeral director does it well, they can become friends and a part of them. So at the same time, you're, you're, giving, um, you're giving a mom a chance to say goodbye to her child. And even with that tragedy, they can still look at you as a friend. I think that's been my most memorable part of of funeral services, just 
creating these lasting relationships and making them as comfortable as they can with loss because it sucks and it's hard, but they shouldn't be not denied any of their feelings. So they, they come to you wanting to know how to grieve and you just let them know it's however they need to grieve, right? They build a trust with you. And right. I think one of the best feelings you can have is when you see a family who came in as sad looking as they should be, but they leave laughing and hugging. They they realize that, you know, there's still life. And one of the quotes that I've always loved is, you know, just because the book has ended, you don't need to focus on the final chapter. So if we can bring that into people, they realize that it's okay to still smile about the person and remember everything. So beautiful. So it really becomes about holding space for people. Um, and, you know, I'm understanding that you're saying it's not one particular moment that is better than the rest. It, it's more just about the general theme of holding space for people and allowing them to be who they need to be in their grief journey. And um, it must be so gratifying for you and and hard, I would imagine, at times to, to like emotionally hard. Do you, do you find it that way? Or do you think you've come to a place where you, you're, you're able to balance? I think the day that I don't tear up in a really good eulogy is the day that I should leave my job. I, of course, would not sob in front of the family, not to say that I, I haven't had my moments, but I don't believe that you should ever grow cold to it or even immune I think that you just come to a place where you learn to carry it better and and you learn that, you know what, the families help you too, right? To yes. be honest, I, I find that sometimes I get lost in their journey and I can find myself in mine at the same time. So sometimes the most difficult part is to remind myself that I have to stay focused on one because that's what people do when they grieve together is they they bring up their own stories in, in a way to automatically relate to someone. So sometimes I have to make sure that while I'm holding space for them, I keep myself out of theirs while still being a strong presence. Right. That makes perfect sense to me. So as, and as I was reading your bio, I was, uh, another interesting kind of dichotomy was that you, you, became um, that you are like a wedding officiant and I'm just wondering because weddings are such a different nature of you know a life event and so I'm just kind of curious about how you came to do that and did that happen before or after the funeral director? That happened after and completely related to funeral services um, you'll notice that I became a funeral celebrant in the time that I was a director. So that's an officiant of funeral services. And okay. what happened was I would do so many different ceremonies and they weren't cookie cutter and they were fun and we laughed and we cried. And I believed in engaging an audience almost when it came to any form of ceremony because everyone was there with their own memories. And then after the funeral, the granddaughters or the grandsons or a niece, they would say, do you do weddings as well? Because they would assume that I was a clergy. They weren't quite sure of how 
a ceremony or um, an officiant was chosen? And I'd say no, because you had to have the rights through the province of Ontario. So after about 15 or 20 times of being asked, I started to look into what I needed to do to become a legal wedding officiant. Hmm, interesting. So that so that makes sense. And I just kind of, you just eventually got the hint and decided you wanted to look further into that. Very cool. So what do you, like how do they kind of differ and how are they the same? How are they the same? I think it's just the delivery, as in I believe that it should be custom tailored to the people that I am serving or honoring at the time. So I, I've i done ceremonies for funerals where I was dressed up as Wonder Woman because it was an eight-year-old boy who loved superheroes. And <laughs> I have done wedding ceremonies where I was dressed up as like a female version of the Green Lantern because they were completely involved in all of these comics. So I'm just a real believer in bringing as much as the personality into a ceremony as I can. And right. and people love to go outside of the box. They want their wedding ceremony to be remembered. And people don't realize they often want this, but they want their funeral ceremony to be remembered too. And they want to be different. It's just a matter of finding a time and a place for everything that it remains respectful to all the contemporary and the traditionalists. So it's always interesting to find a balance, but so far it's been perfect and, and everybody's been really comfortable with them. When it comes to the differences, I prefer funeral ceremonies because I love storytelling and I love a chance to sit with a family and hear the funny stories and the connections and I love to be able to retell them to allow people to really sit back and appreciate who they have in their life but as it comes to a wedding there's only so much time people are looking more for a, a five or ten minute ceremony that you don't necessarily have the time to say how they met and this was fun that said I've often offered myself to be an MC for their wedding as well, so it kind of gives me that that need to talk and and share those stories and those those weddings have been amazing. Very cool. And and also the weddings pulls on the idea too of of like you said, you know what your central passion is, which is connecting with people and building those relationships and stuff. So it's building relationships in a different way and with a different dynamic, but at the same time you still get to do that. And um, um, like you said, people who come to you for funeral um, services often ask about about the weddings, and so that's a way to kind of you know continue the relationship and in a different way. And um, I, I just find that very interesting. I've never met anybody you know with 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 your um, resume, and I just think. It's 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 just a very interesting mix of stuff, but I could I I can obviously tell you're super passionate about it and of helping people and holding space, and I just think that's amazing. I would never guess that I would that we would have somebody on the podcast that did weddings and funerals. They seem so so far from one another, and um, but at the same time, now that you've described more of it, I can I can see the connection and um, you know the the ways in which they are similar 
Yeah, I liked how you spoke on the unique requests and that you're open to it because some people probably wouldn't be. I know a lot of people who are very strict in what they look like and what they're allowed to, you know, go, where they're allowed to go. So I think that's amazing that you're, you're just your free spirit almost and you're willing to do whatever they need for them to feel comfortable in the moment and for them to have a memorable moment. And I think that's amazing. So good for you of being able to go outside the box. I think it's amazing. I'm curious about the name of your company, Facing the Sun. Why did you choose that name? I am obsessed with quotes. And one from an author unknown is Face the Sun and the Shadows Fall Behind You. And I really liked it because I looked at it as multiply faceted. You could face toward the sun, go towards the bright light of the future and and let the, the bad memories or the, the sad feelings go behind you. I also liked that it, it stood the sun stands for like the all powerful light, right? We all we all know that the brighter days are a lot easier than the darker days. So I thought that it was fitting for all of the different facets that I, or all the different pots that I have my hands in because they are so diverse. So you could look forward to the future in your weddings. You could look to a brighter future in your losses. So basically stand head on and and take on your life and, and own it and own the feelings that you have and realize that they're all okay. Wow, that's pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> Beautiful. I love that quote too. It's an amazing quote. I was happy that I was able to get the domain name .life, L-I-F-E, so I thought that was kind of neat. Very cool, yeah. <laughs> and so, like reading your bio, the one thing that really stands out is that you offer services, free services for people going through pregnancy or infant loss. And I'm really curious about that and, and why why you do that, because it's something I'm guessing people would pay you for. Um, because you do offer bereavement support. So what, what is it about this, this group of individuals um, that experience this type of loss that means something to you? I found that there was this silence of infant loss. And as everybody has, you'll, you'll notice that now people are speaking out more about miscarriage and about pregnancy and infant loss. And there was that fear of, of coming out and explaining your feelings. And I found that as a director or a funeral director, you would have families come to you and they wouldn't even count their miscarriages as a loss when we spoke of children. But you could tell that they felt them. And I felt that someone needed to step up and make people comfortable about the conversation. A fellow colleague said it best once when he said, I feel that we as a funeral service industry have done a disservice by not realizing how much support we can give a family who loses their baby or whether it's stillborn or before. So I just, I felt that that niche just had to be there and people weren't necessarily stepping up because it was uncomfortable. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. And so, you know, we've what, had, you know, you can go. We've had a lot of questioning um, when it comes to someone who has lost a child. A timeline is always asked, when, when should I stop 
feeling this, right? And I just felt that out of all of the lost groups, so many unanswered questions were usually at the hands of those type of losses, those parental losses. That's interesting. And so what kind of, like what makes, like you've, you've done so many types of losses. Um, I'm just curious, what are the common issues that people I think face with infant loss that you don't really see in other types of loss? Like, is there like some common questions they ask you? Well, absolutely. Um, I think some of the common issues too would be the genders. So moms and dads, they both experience the exact same loss. However, the majority of the attention tends to go right to the mother. Mm. When I've found through speaking with parents, the father ends up feeling even more lost because at least that mom was able to carry their child where they didn't necessarily get to meet them on such an intimate level. So I find that conversations often happen from dads about guilt, whether they should feel the same loss or they should be there for strength for their partner. Other questions would be, am I allowed to say that I have two children when I only have one surviving child? Wow, that's interesting. Um, because I, I've done some research in in this area with um, miscarriages um, from the for the person who lost it, the carrier, also the partner, and yeah, they have similar dream themes um, that really showcase what you're talking about with the guilt um, or like not being able to speak to the wife, or even uh, had some dreams with the partner. Basically, uh, the relationship breaks up you know, and, you know, he feels sort of all vulnerable and stuff. So do you, do you find um, people break up because of miscarriages or uh, miscarriage loss? I've read in my studies that they do. I've been really pleased to see that the majority of my families that I've had the honor of serving have not, Mm. but I can certainly see how you could get to that point. It's just such an overwhelming feeling and, People are afraid to approach them because no one wants to say the wrong thing. Mm. We, have, we have people contact the funeral home or, or me through the website saying, you know, tomorrow is the anniversary of my neighbor's birth, but she lost her child at birth. Should I say something? I don't want to remind her. Mm. And I constantly let them know they remember already. They won't forget. They'll be happy that you remember too. That's that's very it's so true. I'm glad you're able to talk to people and and shed some light on this. And I think you know the listeners, you know, like distant, like even for disenfranchised grief, miscarriage is one of them. And you said we more or less always think about the carrier, but there's a person beside them, you know, that their partner that also is almost disenfranchised, disenfranchised, <laughs> They're like extra Absolutely. disenfranchised. And it's just like yeah, like it it's something to notice and to ask them about if you know someone. Um, who's had actually dealt, dealt with that to bring up the conversation because they probably don't get it a lot. And so I think it's amazing what you're, what you're doing uh, for them and the advice you're giving them. I'm curious about sort of now like the funerals. Is there something that's different? Because I've never been to a miscarriage funeral. Um, is there something different that goes on there than you would at, let's say, you know, a parental loss or something? For a miscarriage ceremony, they are very rare. Those 
those times are often spent just with the mother and the father. Um, sometimes they don't even tell their extended family because people are are still afraid to tell people that they're pregnant for that three-month safety mark, as everyone says. So a lot of times these losses happen, and unfortunately they never shared their their excitement and their news for that fear of being shamed almost that they lost, that they failed at their pregnancy. And that's not me saying they failed. That's the, the feeling that uh, mom might often take. So I've done the occasional little ceremony just for them. I've, I've had, without getting too graphic, I've had families show up to even my home before with the, the product of their conception because it was their child, it was their baby, and they were so lost. And, and I did everything that I could because you have to treat their child as a child no matter what stage of pregnancy they're in. When we go into an infant loss where the funeral homes were doing a disservice, it was just a matter of, okay, we will take the baby into our care. We will be very kind to you. We will have a ceremony. When what I truly believe we should be doing is taking that baby into our care and having the parents walk beside us at every moment. So I have no problem in full comfort looking at a mom and saying, you've lost so many firsts already. Why should I be the one to dress your child? And I will bring them in and I will say, bring several outfits and I will let them know their baby's condition. And the truth is it doesn't matter to them because it's theirs. And they will wrap, they will swaddle, they will rock. They will be comfortable with everything that a funeral director is comfortable with. So it's a matter of us changing our views and realizing that we're the go-to person. We are the death educator and what we say goes to them in their time of loss. So it's entirely our comfort and our forward thinking that gives them these chances. They have days with their babies when people have years. So I, I feel that they need to have that time. They need to have the snuggle time and the kiss time. And, and I don't feel that it's our right to say the baby's in our care now and you'll see him or her again at the ceremony. Wow. It, uh, it's, it's a lot when you start to talk about that and you realize the struggles, you know, parents go through, um, with pregnancy loss, especially like, I'm like, Oh, they probably have a service. No, they don't have a service. So it's like, and a lot of times you say it's hidden. And so people just don't know and people can't support them and they try to take it on themselves. And, even with the infant loss too, it's just like, it breaks my heart that, you know, people have to go through this. And um, I, I, you know, I've never been in that situation, but I can't imagine like the suffering that they feel um, with, you know, what was almost taken away from them too, way, way too early. Cause they had all these plans, you know, and all those plans are now, you know, just, you know, wishful thinking because now it's like, this is reality. So tough. It is, and they they move through. It's amazing to see the strength of a parent move through. It's almost like they take that energy or that life that they would have wanted for their child, and they 
they do magical things with it. And it, it becomes so difficult too when they start looking into a subsequent pregnancy because as much as they want to refocus, just like when you go to another funeral and you've been to one before, you think of both. You feel both losses. So imagine how difficult it is to go for that ultrasound for your next pregnancy. The first one you were so excited. The next one you're terrified. And and you have to worry. I, I speak with families and and I'll I'll sit with them in support, letting them know that when they attempt to get pregnant again, they will always remember the timeline. You you almost have to be concerned because often the due date can sometimes fall very close to the next. And and they recall that. They it's hard to enjoy their pregnancy. I, I couldn't enjoy mine. I remember when I came 20 weeks pregnant, I thought, when my baby is born still, not if, when, because I just thought I was going to be that person and I was going to be prepared. At 20 weeks, it was considered a legal human by the government. There would be paperwork. I couldn't enjoy it. And I I couldn't express that to my husband because I wasn't going to be his buzzkill. But I really felt, or I felt that I felt what parents feel in their subsequent pregnancies. Even when you are prepared for it, it's still difficult. I, I was actually performing a ceremony when I miscarried a child and I had to continue the ceremony and go to the cemetery and then go to the doctor. And I remember thinking, okay, business as usual, put your your game face on, I can do this. But it got to me too. So I thought, if it's really hard on me, I can't even imagine what it's like to a family who doesn't have background on loss and coping skills and and grief. It's definitely not easy, and I find that nobody nobody really taught like you don't if you're not in that industry and you're you know just not not working in a death death and dying related job and you talk about it you it's like um like among your friends or you know your your friends that are parents and stuff and even if you express that you've miscarried and then it's like all of a sudden, other people saying, "Oh yeah, I've done that. I've, you know, that's happened to me too." Or like you find, um, and then I'm like, "Like, when is everybody going through all this and nobody's talking about it?" And so I think, like you, exactly what you said, there's like this seek. It's like a secret thing that everyone's experiencing that no one's expressing, and it's only until that happens to you or that happens to somebody very close to you that that becomes a topic. And I'm like, I don't know. I just found in my own my own experience that um, until that happened in my immediate circle with myself or people that are very close to me, no one was talking about it until you brought it up. And then it was all like so many people had gone through that. And, that, you know, conversations I would have never had with anybody before. Um, One in four is a deafening statistic. One in it's, four it's, pregnancies it was sh- are lost. Yes, it was shocking to me. Like I'm like, and people I was very close to, you know. And I'm like, how come you didn't tell me this? 
Like, it's like, oh, it's not exactly coffee shop talk. And I get that, too. Like, nobody, you know, it's not one of those things you want to just walk around. Not everyone's comfortable in every situation doing that. But, I mean, for so many people had gone through that, and you don't find out about it until you bring it up or, and it's just, it's just really hard, but I I have, um, you know, the same feelings around you and, and, you know, that you express how resilient people are in taking all of that stuff. It's hard. It's, it's hard and it's an act of love to even go forward. And I always ask people to remind themselves that just because they don't necessarily believe that the loss is as important doesn't mean that it's not important to that person who lost it. It's comparable of how you would say to your toddler, don't cry about that lost toy. To them, that is a huge loss. And just yeah. because one parent feels that a miscarriage at three weeks isn't a loss, we don't know anything about their story. We don't know how long they've been trying. We don't know how badly they need that baby in their life. We don't know. There are some losses that are a relief to parents because they weren't expecting to be pregnant. But when they have that loss and they sense that relief, then suddenly they have still lost a child too. There are so many different circumstances that I just like to remind people just be beside them and let them feel. Just let yeah. them talk. And I and, think it's what you know, understand. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. Just just to be there. Be beside, <laughs> be present, and understand. Yeah, and I think just don't make assumptions about exactly what you said, where people are at in their in their in the in their life and um the circumstances all the circumstances leading up to to whatever point. And I think Two, you also touched on something, the the inability to really embrace subsequent pregnancies and, and and that fear. And a lot of people that I know, you know, when they get to that point where, you know, they experience the loss, the previous pregnancy, you know, even, you know, they say, oh, well, like once I get to however many, you know, mm-hmm. whatever stage of my pregnancy, I can feel better about it. But even once they get to that that point, there's still that feeling of, Fear. It can be very hard because you can have guilt surrounding all those feelings too. Because it's like, I should be happy that I'm even in this situation, or I made it past that that point. Like, there's so many reasons to be, you know, you want to embrace it and be in yeah. joy and be and be excited. But at the same time, you still have that looming experience that you just had, and and all the feelings associated with that. So, uh, I have the highest amount of respect for you in being able to work through you know, help people and use your own journey and, and situation to guide people and support them and hold space because it's, it's, not, it's not the easiest situation. And I mean, like, I, when I coach my clients, I mean, that topic comes up sometimes, but it's not, it's not nearly as often as somebody like you would experience you know, having those discussions. I mean, they come up from time to time, but um, to just constantly be in a state of of supporting people in the in that same situation, it's it's not easy. You have to be a particular type of person to be able to do that for somebody. And the world needs those people, truly, truly. 
I was truly surprised on how often people reached out through a website and Facebook alone when I started this venture. I knew it was out there, but I think I expected to hear more from funeral directors, and I do. But we would have, excuse me, I would have probably about 10 to 20 emails a day of people who experienced losses. And so many of these, I could say well over half, were losses of over 20 years ago. And they just never got to say anything. And most of these emails were just a simple thank you for bringing it to people's attention. And and that just kind of broke me to think that something that would have been even more prevalent in the past without our, our medical advancements was just pushed under the rug. And, and if there's one thing that I would love to see in the future is that when a, a couple or, or a single parent, whoever it is, when they experience the joy of pregnancy, I wish that they would just be able to say it to the world so they have the world with them if in case they are that one in four. Because the truth is the, the most common reason that people wait to express their pregnancy joys are that are the fears of loss, the fear of having to tell someone that they lost someone. But can you imagine as an adult, you would never consider not leaning on someone when you lost a parent, a pet, and anything. But suddenly the most intimate part of you, like someone that you are growing inside of you, you feel that you need to keep that loss to yourself. I know. And yeah, when you put it I like thought that, the same done. thing too. I, I remember thinking, oh, maybe I should wait. And then I thought, how? How? I'm an advocate of not hiding. But it was, it was ingrained in me that, you know, maybe I should just wait, just in case. I did. I so, waited until three months and one day, literally. Yeah. And like now that I'm reflecting back on it, like it was like counting down the days until I can hide yeah, it feel- or... You know, even if I, and the I like the truth was, showing. all you were waiting for was to wait until you were least likely to express the potential greatest loss you could ever feel. And that makes no sense to me. And I know it's our society that has done it, but I know that when people hear, they understand it really doesn't make sense. Why should someone feel so alone? in a loss that needs so much support. Wow, this is a really amazing conversation. Um, but just because of time, I want to just move forward. If you can talk about your grief, because you, you did mention that you had a miscarriage while working, which I can't imagine that, what that's like. You're trying to be joyful and help and support other people when you're going through something in the moment. Um, can you talk about that some more and, and how you handled the uh, like the following days? Sure. It it happened, um, I guess I'm grateful of the timing during the ceremony that we were about to play a song of reflection. So in my mind, uh, unfortunately, I, I felt the physical symptoms of bleeding and I was able to just introduce the song quite quickly. The staff played the song and, and I did a very quick walk to the bathroom and it was very, very apparent as to what was happening. 
And I guess the best way to put it was you just go into work mode because you can't stop. You know, you do a funeral once. And and I did understand that there was really no intervention to my pregnancy at that time that would save my child if I was in fact miscarrying. I understood that because it was relatively early. It was about eight weeks, eight and a half weeks. So I continued the the ceremony and I was grateful that the, the latter part of it was a little more subdued. We went to the cemetery and I, I had to get a blanket for the car and I, I didn't want to mention it to other staff because again, they'd be uncomfortable, they'd be sad. And I think that I wouldn't have been able to to hold myself together as well if I, you know, because you know how when you express something to others and they feel with you, it's easier to feel. I thought it was a lot easier for me to kind of contain that and just tell myself this is what's going to happen. I did go home. Um, I had actually signed up with midwives, which was unlike me. I was more of a doctor girl. And I gave them a call, went to the hospital. They did confirm the the loss of my baby. And I remember calling and being very businesslike, thinking, oh, this wasn't that bad for me. I'm really glad that I am one of those people that isn't really affected. So I must be very sciencey. And this was my body telling me this wasn't right. And about six days later, I received a card in the mail. And it was a sympathy card from the Niagara midwives. And it said, we're sorry for the loss of your baby. And then I lost it. And I realized I wasn't as tough as I thought I was. And and that was okay. But it was amazing that that simple gesture from strangers was the one that was able to actually start my grief journey on that. I had support of friends and colleagues, but again, it became very formal. Support the funeral director, but I'm sure she's good. She's got this. That's what she does. And that's how I felt. I, I truly felt I had this. I was, I was above it. And uh, it took one simple card from midwives that I didn't even want to go to in the first place that, that really made me realize that nobody's tough enough to lose a child or the potential dream of a child. Wow. That's, uh, that's tough. Um, and you know, so you know, after that, did, did you tell anyone like, cause you said it was pretty early, early on. And you said, most people don't tell people, did you tell anyone after that? Or did you sort of keep it to yourself and, and work on the emotions yourself? I, I told a therapist, because I believe every therapist needs a therapist. And I, I spoke with colleagues in my industry that I, I knew felt the same way about child loss. I felt a little overwhelmed with people meaning the best because I was there to help them. I'd feel that if I tell them about a loss, I really get inundated. And and I know that it's always well-intended, but it's it's a difficult thing to sit on the other side of the table. And I, I don't receive it as well as I, I should have, so I, I feel that I did take in a lot of those emotions. And when I spoke with 
my parents and they felt the loss of a potential grandchild and my husband, of course. I auto went into the role of I know how to handle other people in this loss. This is easier for me to do it like a work family than to deal with it myself. I journaled. Um, I kept a, a different memento. I kept a card. I made sure that I would always remember. I, I remember the date. I remember the time. I remember the family that I was serving, and I still keep in touch with that family. And And sometimes that's hard. But I think it makes things real to me. And while I think I was uber passionate about it before, I feel that the experience just made me realize that I had to to keep going on this mission of making sure that everybody was allowed to, to feel their loss and deserve to have their story said. Wow. And, and then you're saying you, you have a child, right? I have two now, yes. Two, yeah. So was a miscarriage the first child that was going to be born or did it come afterwards? It was between. So Rachel, my youngest, is what they would call the rainbow baby, the baby after a loss. Oh, um, I know that. Yeah, so we have a rainbow baby. And it's it's an awesome thing. Uh, oddly enough, I, I would have thought in what I've read would say that Rachel, my last baby, the youngest, would have been the most difficult um, pregnancy because I had experienced the loss right before and I was pregnant within a month and a half afterward with her. However, I still stand by it was my first pregnancy that was the hardest because it was the first time I was pregnant and my focus within the community in the region was dealing with pregnancy loss. So I just felt that it was going to be me, as I had mentioned earlier. It was it was hard to enjoy it. And I'd find myself being grateful that I didn't show till eight months at all. Former employer once said if they didn't know that I was pregnant, it would just look like I suddenly enjoyed eating a lot more. <laughs> I I kind of gained weight, but I never had a baby belly. And I remember being grateful because I'd be going to the hospital where people would be losing their babies. And I wondered, how can I do this job and look pregnant? But at the same time, how difficult was it that I was having to put on a brave face for a mom who was having a stillborn baby and I was due in three weeks. So it was it was a tough one, um, but I felt that I was more protective for the moms that I was taking care of and the dads. And I thought, I just remember always thinking, this isn't my turn yet. It's not my turn yet. Like I had truly, truly thought that was going to happen. It was almost a guarantee. It was the oddest feeling. And I remember um, speaking with a psychiatrist that I've I've had a great relationship with thinking, is there truly something wrong with me? And he said, well, there's a lot of things that are wrong with you. He said, but this fear isn't one of them. And when the OB who delivered my first baby, when, when Serena came out, I remember he laughed because the first words out of my mouth were, thank God she's not dead. And he looked up at me and he knew what I did. So he, he made the joke that you don't hear that very often in my 40 years. But the nurses looked terrified because who says that? 
But that was the first thing that came out of my mouth was just absolute relief. And yeah, it was it was kind of messed up, but everyone has their story, right? And it's right for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So have you have you ever had a dream of um you've had one miscarriage or you had a stillborn as well? I had just one miscarriage. One miscarriage. So have you ever had a dream of him or her? I've had dreams of being pregnant and losing a baby again, but okay. it was never in specific loss of the individual before. No, it was that I kept going through them. I I had multiple dreams, especially I, I found a lot near my birthday, which was really odd. Happy birthday to me. You know, consistent dreams of being pregnant, even though I knew I was having no more children. Like that was a choice. And I would lose it. And in that one dream, I would lose several babies. It was like a time-elapsed dream. And mm. and that was pretty tough. Um, I've dreamt a lot, I believe, an unhealthy amount of my own children dying. And it's never to a tragedy. It's I'm so fixated on what I would need to get through their loss. I, I almost go through the details. Mm. So I've... I've been very good to to seek professional counsel just to ensure that you know my my grieving or my fears are are discussed. They say the best thing is to let the truth hit the air and and I don't feel that it hinders me in life or in my profession, but I I don't think that you can escape the thoughts of death, especially in the western culture. And when you constantly see people lose those that they love, or those who they love, excuse me, you you can't help but fear losing your own sometimes. But I'm fortunate. It doesn't change my actions. Oddly enough, I never became a helicopter parent. I wasn't terrified of of choking incidents and SIDS and all of that. I, I didn't have a fear of the actual incident. It's just a constant state of what would I do if. Right. I think it's hard too when you go through when you see that and you've gone through your own loss. It's it's hard to disassociate all that from your experience. I think when it becomes obsessive and it becomes a detriment to your life or your dynamic with your child, I think that's problematic. But at the same time, I do understand how that's a very real consideration. And when you said let the truth hit the air, I think it's being being um I don't even want to say comfortable, but you know acknowledgement of of death and dying you know in particular with what you do like that's that's a part of life, and that's a and not to be insensitive, but I mean to just allow yourself to sit with how do I feel about that and allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you need to feel you know about death and dying in your life and the people that you encounter. Um, I think that's important, too, because that can teach us a lot about our understanding of the social world and our understanding of ourselves and our emotions and all those things. So it's it's a it's a balance that I've, you know, found even in my own life. It's a it's a balance between, you know, being afraid and being in that state of worry and then fully uh, being real, realistic and also, you know, 
embracing and being joyful and not being on that worry side so much that, you know, you fail to enjoy what is happening, like, in the here and now. Absolutely. Yeah, and I... Re- sorry, go ahead. I was just, just going to say, yeah, the the dreams itself, it's... um. It, it's heartbreaking that you know, as much as you experienced it in real life, you have these dreams that um, that occurred, you know, the miscarriages on your birthday and stuff like those dreams. It's, you know, like you're not alone. And, you know, one thing I did want to mention on the podcast, just as some like simple stats of something I found, which I thought was really interesting. So within the first year, 50% of people actually will have a dream of their baby in some way. And 40% of those people um, will report um, having these negative dreams of being pregnant and miscarrying again, or the baby being dead or not responsive. And so, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, like people have to deal with. And even, you know, like a lot of people have said too, they have these dreams of being pregnant and they wake up and they realize it was just a dream. And like these, what this wave of sadness will come over them. And, you know, like, I know you're doing, doing this, um, you have your own experiences and you, and you work with a lot of these people, but I think people need to know that, you know, dreams can really affect how we deal with our grief. You know, like if you're you're going through something, you have one of these dreams, it can really set you back on on how you see yourself and how you how you see your your own journey uh, moving through this this loss. So, you know, like I uh, I really hope you. I'm I'm happy that actually that you you're seeing someone and you're talking about this stuff because a lot of times people just keep it in as you sort of see in your own life. So I'm glad you're talking about that stuff. And hopefully, you know, as time progresses, those dreams can can fade away. Yeah, I've I've been comfortable recently. I haven't had I haven't had too many negative dreams. And I remember reading some of the things that you've put out there, and and it makes sense to me. You were saying that you know happy people tend to have happier dreams. See, I do research sometimes, <laughs> and <laughs> and again, like I was dreaming of what I see. So I wanted to find the the ground of was I dreaming grief or was I dreaming work, mm, and question. and that was a, a question that wasn't able to be answered, which is fair because there are just a lot of things that we have to acknowledge we don't know. Mm-hmm. And you mentioning people dreaming of being pregnant, that that's a really important factor too because now compared to fifty years ago a woman would wait until their menstrual cycle to find out if they were pregnant and they would have that anticipation. Now we can find out, you know, just go into Shoppers Drug Mart or any pharmacy and it's find out seven days later. And and people are so much more engaged in their pregnancy that the loss is even harder because before you had sex and you became pregnant now you check your temperature and you're timed and it becomes a job so you you have a loss every time you're not pregnant because you spent a month trying to prepare to do something natural it so such let down and people i've i've really found that too the, the engagement is just it's higher because it is, you know, it's like, yeah, people are more engaged in their whole whole experience and everything's timed up. And so there's far more invested in, in it than, Absolutely. than just, like you said, just, you know, trying to, to do it. But then there's, in, you know, infertility journeys and stuff, too, that, you know, people have to be more engaged. Oh, my gosh. You know, if they, if yeah. if they, if they can't get there the natural way, um, Absolutely. which is... 
right? Which is its own its own journey and its own experience, particularly when it comes to loss and all that as well. So very varied. But I yeah, I completely get what you're saying about, you know, before it would just kind of be intimate and have your intercourse and then kind of that was you know, yeah, you didn't have an option to really get connected before you found out. Whereas right. now women are so connected with their body and their cycle that it's not just their body anymore, it's the future home for their child that they are getting ready and, and there are tests to help them. So I did everything right. How did I fail? Whereas before it was more of a mentality of chance. And and that's difficult. And a lot of my clients as well, you mentioned infertility. I mean, you could go on for days about that conversation, but now people finally have the benefit. Same-sex couples have the the right and, and the benefit to have pregnancies together or have children. And if they lose, they have social stigma against them as well. So some people didn't even appreciate their pregnancy or believe it should happen. And then on top of that, they have a loss. There are just so many different factors that are just heartbreaking, but they're there in society. Yeah. It's uh, it's very true. Um, and so just we're just going to wrap up. There's so much actually I want to, to say and talk about, about, you know, these dreams and um, but I mean, we might have to uh, have you on again and, and have another podcast dedicated to yeah, this topic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so as we uh, we close up, we always like to ask, I like to ask, what dream would you want to have if you could? So if you could have a dream, it could be of you know, something to do with the miscarriage, or it could be something else of someone else you've lost and you've lost your, your friend from suicide. Um, could you make up a dream for us and, you know, where you'd want to be and what you want to do? I think because of our, our conversation today, just what would come to mind would be to speak to my cousin, but to be grown up, to have the chance to speak to 18-year-old him, not just a grade eight, and to see if there was a way that he could have chosen to keep his life. And I, I remember in the letter that he left, he had said, how can one be expected to run in a rat race if they don't feel that they're a rat? And I didn't understand that at the time, but I never forgot it. And I think that I would just I think I would need to know that he was still comfortable in his decision and that he wasn't scared when he left. I would want the chance to to just say that, you know, you might not have felt like a rat, but you were certainly part of the game and a necessary part of the game. And and he was someone that, that I really looked up to as a child. And I think I would say thank you because I don't believe that every loss or every death necessarily happens for a reason. But because that did happen, I was able to go forward and hopefully um, through, through support or through friendship or through education, maybe make sure that other lives haven't been taken. Um, I've done a lot of suicide awareness speaking and 
And in the end, it's all because of someone that I loved who did complete suicide. So I don't know. Maybe it's just a way I'd like to have a dream that would help me validate his comfort and validate my loss the time. Yeah, that's that's nice. Feels kind of selfish in a way. <laughs> I just I wanted to know that out of all the things we never know, we don't know what happens when we die. It's not even that I want to know what happens after. I want to know that just before he was okay with what he was doing, he truly felt okay. Wow, it's uh, it's a lot, and you can, and one day I do hope you have a dream, something like that, where it can give you that understanding and that peace. What what environment would you want to be in when you're having this conversation? As long as there was a cup of coffee and a lot of time, it really wouldn't matter. <laughs> you know, I just. I, I'd want it to be in more of a happy place and I'd want to leave with the feeling of this is what we would have been if we were both grown-ups together. Cool. All right. Wow. So amazing. And, you know, I got to say, it was just a pleasure to have you on today. Um, and I learned a lot about, you know, your career, your own journey, but also the people you help. And, you know, it warms my heart that there is someone like you out there that is helping people through their difficult times because you bring a sense of understanding, compassion, but you bring a lot of humor to what you do. And I think, you know, like it allowing people to laugh in their difficult times shows them that, you know, they can still be happy and sad. So at the same time. I I believe that it's not even that they can, that they need to. Mm. I, I see so many of these celebrations of life that are all focusing on happy, 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 happy. You need to feel the feels. You need to cry the cry too. And and it's my hope that people really don't lose the, the value of ceremony and find that perfect blend of celebration of life, but a tribute to your feelings and your loss as well. Beautiful. And I'm an advocate for all, for all that as well. And I think it's important to go through the the humanity of everything and joy and sorrow and all that allows us to, to lead a very authentic life and a very colorful life and how powerful that is and to not leapfrog over some of the more difficult things. And I think just that goes a long way in, in healing. And so for you to just, you know, be constantly expressing that to others and practicing that in your own life is, a beautiful example of you know it being okay to like you said feel the feels so thank you for allowing me to feel the feels today during this episode and i uh thanks for feeling safe enough to be able to yeah yeah i'm just so um inspired by what you do and moved and touched and allowed me to just um, I didn't wake up this morning thinking that I was going to go here in my emotional mental space, but here I am. <laughs> so just you know, reflecting, reflecting on my own journey and stuff is important yeah. as well and the gratitude for my own rainbow baby and the joy she's brought to my life. And uh, so I'm feeling a mix of all the things as well. So thank you for that. Awesome. And if I could just leave and ask one thing of everybody, it's, If you know anybody who lost a baby, 
use their name because that's such a huge thing. When someone tells me they had a stillborn child, they always tell me they had a child. And the first question I asked was, what was their name? Or what is their name? Let them be a person because they're totally a person to that parent. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, and uh, can you just let everybody know who's listening where they can find you, reach out for any uh, feedback or support? They just want to get more connected with what you do if you have any social media handles and your website, if you could just let everybody know. Sure. Um, social media, I'm under Natalie Prue hyphen facing the sun. And my last name is spelled P-R-O-U-L-X. And my website is www.facingthesun.life, as in life and death, L-I-F-E. Amazing. There you can find my website and cell phone number. I'm, I'm quite comfortable texting back and forth or Skyping, whatever works for people. Do you Snapchat? <laughs> I'm not cool enough for Snapchat. <laughs> Wish I was. <laughs> and I'm sorry, you did say you had an Instagram too, right? I don't actually. As a as a oh. techie as I am, I do not have an Instagram. I run oh, okay. a few for different funeral homes, but nothing personal as of yet. Okay, great. Okay, well that's that's amazing. Thank you so much for all those updates. And we know that I have a feeling that some people might be reaching out to you after listening to this episode. And um, again, just thanks for being so open and, and honest and candid. And I know people are really going to enjoy this episode. So thank you for showing up today. And I encourage anybody, even if they're not in my region, please reach out. And I'm happy to do some legwork and, and find people with similar views in your turf. There are a lot of us who really want to bring this bring this to light in different areas and I'm happy to to find people in those areas for them amazing so amazing so check out her her stuff and uh, look further into her um, she's an amazing individual and she's doing some good work and so for our stuff you can please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic um, if you have Facebook you can join the grief dreams Facebook group or you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter and we have, uh, I'll be doing two workshops in Kitchener, Ontario coming up. So the first one is April 30th and it's a free talk. And there's, it's titled 10 Things I Learned About Grief Dreams. So I'll be talking about pregnancy loss dreams. I'll be talking about pet loss dreams and spousal loss dreams and everything else. Um, so it's two hours. And so if you want to know more information about that, just go to the website to RSVP. Um, also, there's a workshop I'll be doing. It'll be my last workshop of the year because uh, I got to graduate, so I got to focus on that sort of stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so uh, that's called Exploring Grief Dreams, and that's on May 26th. And all the details are on uh, my website for that. But what's cool about this is that I actually got approved for um, continuing education credits. So check that out. And, there's also, and just because I know some people are struggling with fees, there's reduced fees for people who have limited income. Um, so if you, if you are interested and you live in Ontario and you want to come, um, just give me an email and we can... Uh, reduce those fees for you. So other than that, our guest host, Jade, you want to share any of your stuff? Sure. Um, I, I can be found on Instagram at Jade Carling Coaching. My website is www.jadecarlingcoaching.com. And I also have a Facebook page under the same name. So you could shoot me an email 
or a direct message on Instagram. I'm there uh, the most out of all my social media. And, um, yeah, if you want to connect with me, then you can just meet me at any of those platforms. And I love to get feedback and just connect with different people who are listening to the podcast and um, want to have a chit-chat. Amazing, amazing. And if, uh, listener, if you are interested in being a guest on our podcast, please email us and tell us your story and what you'd like to share. Um, just go to uh, griefdreams.ca to uh, see our email address. And as we always like to say at the end of the show, with love and gratitude from us to you. introduced myself you have introduced yourself this is a very good conversation